Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Thank everybody for tuning in, if you want. I'll feel a little bit of a delay on the comments through Facebook Live and Periscope today, but I will definitely get to everything that's brought up over the course of the show uh, and everything that's your, on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unified America. Don't forget the number, if you're interested, is 732-364-3598. So, uh, like I said, give the show a call. Let me know what's on your mind at all, um, even if it's not sports-related. But a couple things we're going to get into today. We're going to talk a little bit about the possibility, and we always do this when it comes to sports. We always talk about how there are significant cases that can be made for certain Hall of Famers and others that end up being left on the outside looking in. And I'm going to make one distinct case against a player that had a very good career and arguably could be considered a Hall of Famer. Uh, we're going to do uh, two sport athletes because I do think if you consider Kyler Murray and a possibility that he could play pro football professionally, and I think he's going to be enticed to want to at least give it a shot or see what kind of options are out there or where he could be taken in the upcoming NFL draft. So I'm going to bring up some other cases of two sport athletes, but also a list of players that they're being considered two sport athletes and really aren't. Um, the other thing we're going to get into, how pro football players, especially NFL players, are honest and make it known how they feel about certain situations. And I don't think pro baseball players do the same thing. So we'll, we'll touch on those topics in a little bit. Uh, first thing, of course, we're going to hit NFL picks later on. you got the four games for the weekend, which I'll pick every one of them. Uh, regular season's over, obviously. We talked last week about some of the lessons learned from serious sports betting and not just making random picks for a given week. I mean, you can talk about little stakes and, you know, listen, I, I wasn't necessarily spending a whole ton of money, but I do think you want to get into a pattern or at least feel like you're getting something out of it. If you're getting caught by the point spread every single time, it's, it's unfortunate. It's something that you just have to accept that things aren't going to go your way. But let me get into the Hall of Fame discussion or the comparison that I saw between Sandy Koufax and Johan Santana. And I don't think there's any way that these two pitchers could be considered on the same level. But we got to understand the day and age that we live in we look at advanced numbers and we look at metrics and we look at ballpark factors and we're able to put a lot more correlation between players that are playing right now and players that may have played before. And sometimes you have to go beyond that and prove that there is a little bit of a discrepancy between the two things. And the one thing that kind of frustrates me and it's almost not respectful to Johan Santana as much as it's completely disrespectful for Sandy Koufax to say that these guys were on the same level and essentially had the same careers. Now, I think you could use ballpark factor numbers like ERA plus 
um, you know, use FIP and WHIP and all these different things, talk about war over the course of their career. But there's a lot that needs to be discussed if you're going to put Johan Santana. With all due respect to Santana, he had a very good career. He was dominant in his years with the Twins. He probably had the equivalent of about five Hall of Fame seasons. So we can have a complete different discussion when it comes to whether Johan Santana by himself is a Hall of Famer. He may be, he may not be. I think of the likes of Mike Messina, certainly Roger Clemens. Once again, we're not going to have the discussion about what the Baseball Hall of Fame is excluding intentionally. But if you're talking about more dominant pitchers that should be in a Hall of Fame, I would say Clemens has got to go in first, Messina's got to go in after that. And then you have a series of other pitchers that are either on the same level or slightly above or slightly below that of Johan Santana and his career and what he accomplished. Kurt Schilling, it's got to be in the Hall of Fame before you consider Johan Santana. And it may not necessarily be fair to, to Johan. Very good career. And I think he's one of those guys that's right on the borderline, pretty similar to an Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit was above average in a regular season. He was above average in a postseason. But you look at it and you say, you ask yourself the question, was he ever the best pitcher in his respective league? Now, the answer for Andy Pettit is no. The answer for Johan Santana is yes. But the problem with Santana and what he didn't do that Andy Pettit was able to do is he was able to sustain what he did, which was slightly above average, over the course of a long career. And Johan Santana, unfortunately, did not do that. So if you're going to have the discussion about whether Johan Santana is a Hall of Famer, that, I think that's a fair one. That's a separate discussion from the one that I'm about to have. But you have to at least consider it and say, over the course of time, if Clemens is in, if Messina is in, whether Pettit gets in or not, Schilling has got to be in. And then he could have the discussion about Johan Santana's career and whether he's a Hall of Famer. Obviously, he's not going to be on the baseball writer's ballot anymore. He got just over 2% or just over 2.5% in his one year of eligibility. So it wasn't 5%, so he's no longer on the ballot. But maybe the Veterans Committee down the road will look at the career of Johan Santana and say, hey, maybe he was close enough. But one player that he certainly was not close enough to, and if I have to hear it one more time about the comparison between these two, I think I'm going to throw up in my mouth. And that's Sandy Koufax. Now, Sandy Koufax, we all know, was extremely dominant for about a five-year stretch from 1962 to 1966. Probably had, over the course of those five seasons, a better five-consecutive-year run than anybody in the history of baseball before that or after that. You have to go back to the likes of a guy by the name of Addie Joss, who pitched for the Cleveland Indians in the early part of the 1900s. Of course, he got tubercular meningitis in 2000. 10, I'm sorry, 1910, and died in 1911. But you look at Addie Joss's run over the course of the last five years of his career, and you put that up against what Sandy Koufax did from the years of 1962 to 1966, and very few other pitchers. You can talk about Pedro Martinez in you know 98-99 to about 2003. All right, that's fair enough. But Johan Santana, with all due respect to him, never had a run like Sandy Koufax had. And if you talk about analytical numbers like WAR and ERA+, what it's not fairly factoring in is how many innings 
Sandy Koufax pitched. He had three years where he pitched over 300 innings. It was a series of years we had over 300 strikeouts. So you talk about those same numbers that show you that ERA plus could be 138 or 131. doesn't factor in exactly how many innings Sandy Koufax pitched. Johan Santana only pitched 200 innings a couple times in his career. I think it was three 200-inning seasons. So you're talking about a guy in Sandy Koufax that had complete game totals of 27 multiple times. He had shutouts, 11, 7, 6. Numbers that Johan Santana did not do. And the unfortunate thing, and the reason that I feel the need to bring this up, is because unfortunately there are younger sports fans that are only looking at numbers and not understanding the impact the players had in certain times in history. And Sandy Koufax, if you want to say that he's on the same level of Johan Santana, unfortunately, you're not looking deep enough into the numbers. And it may not have been fair to Johan Santana. Maybe comparing apples to oranges. And if we are, so be it. But, you know, I think it's insane to think that Johan Santana, because of his ERA+, plus, because of his war, is almost had the same career as Sandy Koufax. It's impossible. Santana, and probably something because he wasn't able to do or didn't get the opportunity to do, didn't get to pitch as many innings in a game. He was a six-inning pitcher, a seven-inning pitcher. Koufax was a nine-inning pitcher. And Koufax made 38, 39, 41 starts every single year. Pitched well over 300 innings a series of times. All things that Yohan Santana didn't get a chance to do. Now, once again, if you want to make the conversation different on whether Santana's a Hall of Famer, that's fine. That's a different discussion. But don't, under any circumstances, compare him to Sandy Koufax. It's completely asinine. I'm done. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under Internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of the show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So moving on, I was thinking about this, and this is another one of my constant points that I'm always bringing up. We talk about the media and how the media gives people the opportunity to say things that normally they wouldn't say. And with that, they give them a free pass to say, well, if you tell us this information, we'll share the information with the public, but we'll hide your name or keep your name from being having to be put behind it. And obviously, any sort of repercussions that have to happen for you to be able to say what you said. And it's funny, I found, I found a little bit of an interesting tie-in. If you talk about the NFL, and let's say the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, Things seem like they're a little bit of a mess. Antonio Brown's getting a little upset. He didn't like that Juju Smith-Schuster was selected team MVP. He went AWOL. Uh, right, you know, Peter King decides to keep him out of consideration for the Pro Bowl. I'm sorry, for an All-Pro team. So he's probably not going to be an All-Pro this year. And Antonio Brown's pissed off. He's pissed off at Ben Roethlisberger. He's pissed off at Mike Tomlin. But if you understand whether you agree with or disagree with the reasons, they could seem pretty petty. They could seem pretty, I don't know, just doesn't make any sense for anybody to act like that. And that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But the one thing I respect about Antonio Brown 
is that he's letting it know, be known how he feels. He's not going to a reporter who's going to give him a free pass to say whatever it is that he wants and not have to put his name behind it. Antonio Brown is putting his name behind every single feeling he has and every single thing that he says. And the general public could go out there and eat him up if you want. If you, you want to go after him. You want to say his comments are retarded. You want to say that he's not a good team player. You want to say that he is you know, a disgruntled player that's getting compensated very well. Obviously, the second highest paid receiver in the entire National Football League was the first until Odell Beckham Jr. signed his contract. That's fine. Whatever you feel about Antonio Brown should be separated from the fact that he does speak his mind. And I think this is a little bit of a bigger conversation that we could have because you look at baseball players, and I'm not going to say baseball players aren't tough. Obviously, if you're comparing baseball to football, you know the National Football League is a lot more of a physical game. There's a lot more violence. There's a lot more uh, contact. And you got to really be tough to be able to handle a National Football League game. Every collision that happens on the course of a football field is the equivalent of that of a car accident. They obviously, you wear shoulder pads, you wear a helmet, but you're still talking about essential battering rams of people going at you know ridiculous speeds crashing into each other. So there's nobody that's ever going to tell you that football isn't a more physical game than baseball. But I'm talking about the mental side of both sports for a second. Because if you think about baseball, you know, sometimes there's confrontation. Sometimes there's unrest within a certain clubhouse. But baseball has kind of shifted from being a man's, man's game. And if you have an issue, if you have a disagreement, if you have some sort of dispute, you go to whoever it is and you say you got a grievance. Baseball players, and I'm not speaking for all of them, have decided in a lot of cases to go to the press and get almost a, a freedom of not having to put their name behind a particular issue that they have. If there's unrest in a clubhouse in baseball, you're going to find it through anonymous sources. And I don't know how much to blame is the media and how much to blame is the baseball player. But in National Football League, if there's an issue, the guys go out there and like a man, speak up. You heard about the story of the Seattle Seahawks after they lost that Super Bowl to the New England Patriots in heartbreaking fashion. That they took, you know, what was it, the whole team or majority of the team out, a, out on a mountain and just started yelling at each other, aired all their different grievances out there. It doesn't happen in Major League Baseball. And I don't know how much it is the responsibility of the media to want to get a little more deeper into what these problems are that they're reporting. Because it's almost like what's being reported is a story that is incomplete and a story that doesn't have really the necessary ingredients to figure out a solution. How is there going to be a solution when you don't know what player said what? Or you don't know who's unhappy? Or you don't even, in some cases, know what the issue is? When it comes to the NFL, you got players that, yeah, sometimes speak out of turn, sometimes embarrass themselves, sometimes take major PR hits in regards to the things that they say. 
but at least they're honest, and at least they put their freaking name behind it. This is the time of the program where I remind you that this is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. Kyler Murray, the Oklahoma State quarterback, obviously coming off of a great year, coming off of a dominant performance, Heisman Trophy winner, second straight Oklahoma quarterback to win the award. He's got some decisions to make whether he wants to play pro football. Obviously, from a talent standpoint, from an ability standpoint, he can do it. And uh, if you don't know, Kyler Murray was drafted number nine overall in the last Major League Baseball draft by the Oakland Athletics. He hired Scott Boris to be his baseball agent. As we hit the halfway point here in the past ball show, just a reminder, the program is brought to you by JohnPaley.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Glad to be with you. If anything is on your mind, please give the show a call. The number is 732-364-3598. So, Kyler Murray obviously has this decision. Does he want to go, you know, Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders or Brian Jordan, go that route and try to play Major League Baseball and in the NFL at the same time. It'll be a difficult task, and I do think it's a little bit harder to do in 2019 than it was years ago. You look at when Bo Jackson did it, Deion Sanders did it, it was the 80s and in the early 90s, and obviously the NFL has done a better job or tried to do a better job in making the game safer. So, and obviously the athletes have gotten stronger and tougher and more agile and more physical. So the risk that you'd be taking if you're playing in the NFL is certainly a little bit more than it used to be. Now, Russell Wilson had a similar decision. He was drafted in Major League Baseball, decided he wanted to be an NFL quarterback. And he's one of the top quarterbacks in the entire sport. He did that, though. He made that decision at the expense of what could have been a Major League Baseball career. I'm sure he likes baseball. I'm sure that if all things were equal and he felt he could do it, he would do both sports. But you can't consider Russell Wilson a two-sport athlete, even if he's making cameos in spring training, whether it's in Florida or Arizona with whatever team happens to grab the rights of his contract for you know what seems like a publicity stunt. Unfortunately, Russell Wilson decided he wanted to be an NFL quarterback, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, he's going to have a great career. He, you know, he keeps up another five years or so of what he's doing. He'll be on the track to be a Hall of Famer. So I think he made the right decision. But you can't consider Russell Wilson a two-sport athlete. Other athletes that have had their names thrown out there and are getting consideration are considered two-sport athletes that aren't. Michael Jordan is not a two-sport athlete. He never played Major League Baseball at the Chicago White Sox. He retired or he quit or he temporarily halted his career in the National Basketball Association to pursue a professional career in Major League Baseball, played one year in AA for the Birmingham Barons, and then went back to the NBA. So he's not a two-sport athlete. John Elway was drafted by a Major League Baseball team. Whoop-de-doo. Did he play Major League Baseball? No, he's not a two-sport athlete. Athlete Russell Wilson, we just said. Tim Tebow, he's got a chance 
And you know what? He might be the one out of all the athletes that might be able to get a pass. In other words, if he comes up with the New York Mets in September of 2019 or 2020 and gets in a handful of games and plays in the major leagues for a little bit of time, he's certainly not going to be considered a star in baseball. And you can even make the dispute of whether or not he ever was a star in football. Certainly in college football he was. Obviously led the Denver Broncos in that playoff win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he had success in the NFL a little bit, but was never considered a superstar. But Tim Tebow could break that line or that barrier and become a two-professional sport athlete. Not in the terms of just being drafted, not in the terms of just playing in some sort of minor leagues, but to actually play in a big show in two sports. And obviously you think of the likes of Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson and Dave DeBusher and Brian Jordan. And I'll throw out another name, Mark Hendrickson, former relief pitcher for the Orioles and the Blue Jays and a handful of other teams. Played in the NBA for about two or three seasons. So he's a two-sport athlete. So Kyler Murray at some point has got to make a decision. He's got to decide whether he wants to continue to pursue his baseball career, which it looks like he's going to. He wouldn't have signed his contract, I don't think, with the Oakland Athletics and with Scott Boris as his agent if he wasn't going to at least give professional baseball a shot. And we'll see how that ends up working out. Part of the agreement was that he was going to play this year as the quarterback for the University of Oklahoma. Obviously, things went very well. He won the Heisman Trophy, had an outstanding season. And now he's got to consider, listen, there are very few athletes that are gifted enough to be able to play two sports at a professional level. And think about it, out of all of them, there's only a handful that were ever even really good at one of them. You obviously think of the case of Bo Jackson and what could have been if he didn't break his hip in that, in that playoff game. Could he have possibly, from an athletic standpoint, handled both sports over the course of what would have been a long-term career? We'll never know, but you think about it, if there was ever anybody that could have, Bo certainly would have fit that bill. But, you know, looking back at the athletes that have done it, another guy that gets doesn't get thrown out there enough was the great Jim Thorpe. And Jim Thorpe, of course, played Major League Baseball briefly. He didn't have a great or a long or a really uh, extenuated career in Major League Baseball. But obviously you're looking at a world-class athlete, a track and field champion, an Olympic gold medalist. So you want to say a two-sport athlete? Sure, absolutely. And, and I hate to say, even, even if you want to bring up the likes of Herb Washington, who was a obviously a world-class athlete, a track and field star, ended up playing in Major League Baseball in the 1970s with the Oakland Athletics, part of, a, a I guess, a, an idea, whether it was by Charlie Finley or it was advised to him by somebody else, and to be a designated pinch runner. Now, Herb Washington from a baseball standpoint, had no athletic ability. And this is not a knock on him. This was not to say that Herb Washington was not a, a, an, an athlete, a great track and field star, was not gifted with blazing speed. He obviously had a ton of gifts. But when it came to the acumen of being able to translate that from what he did on the track to what was needed to play Major League Baseball, he couldn't do it. He got picked off in a World Series game. He only had one job. That's to go out there, stand on first base, and steal second. 
try to score a couple runs. And unfortunately, when you talk about the difference between what's needed to succeed in one sport against what's needed to succeed in another sport, sometimes it isn't as possible. It's not as easy to say, hey, the best athletes should be able to play every sport. Dave Winfield, when he was, when he was coming, coming through, when he was drafted by the San Diego Padres, he could have played in the NBA, he could have played in the NFL. At some point, you need to narrow down what you could be able to handle or put on your plate at one time. And it's a big decision that Kyler Murray is going to have to make as he gets ready for the potential NFL draft if he decides to be involved in it, as well as pursuing his career in Major League Baseball. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. The last thing we're going to get into today is we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the upcoming playoff games and obviously getting started this weekend. And it should be pretty interesting to see how it works out. You got your four wild card wins or games as they're coming up. And if you look at the picks for the week or the end of the year, we finished with a below 500 record, and a lot of people struggle this year. If you're listening to people that are doing regular regular picks as they're going through a course of an individual NFL week, a lot of the games were tough, and a lot of games were decided by a point or two in regards to the spread, and I do think that's something that has to be thought about, but I'm going to dive right into it. I look at the Indianapolis Colts traveling to Houston, and they're playing, of course, the Houston Texans, and you got two teams right here that got off the bad starts. I think it's easy to forget that the Houston Texans started the season at 0-3. and three. Obviously, it keeps getting brought up, the fact that the Indianapolis Colts were 1-5. Great finish to the season, a very good performance in Tennessee last week in what was kind of a playoff-like format, a winner-take-all kind of scenario. The winner was going to get to the playoffs. The loser's season was going to be over, so... I like the momentum that could be built off of last week's game for the Colts. And the Colts are getting a little bit more out of their defense. It's even being talked about. Their offensive line has done a great job. Quentin Nelson may be one of the best picks in this entire most recent NFL draft. Andrew Luck is able to do things that he was doing a couple of years ago before he had to worry about his offensive line breaking down and being at risk of an injury. Houston is going to be able to build off the opportunity to play a game at home. Uh, Deshaun Watson is excited. You know, he was hurt last year. He gets the opportunity to take his team into the playoffs. You know about the Houston defense. And i got to be honest, you talk about underrated defenses in the NFL. Is there a more overrated defense than the Houston Texans? With Clowney, with Merciless, with J.J. Watt. You're talking about three of the most feared pass rushers in the entire sport. And I know there was issues with having them all on the field at the same time, but have they collectively performed as well as the reputation that they have? I think it's a very good question. But give me Indy plus one and a half at Houston against the Texans. The other game tonight, Dallas is hosting Seattle. And I'm thinking of a couple different things because Seattle to me is very is a very solid team. And I have no issue with Seattle, if they were to win this week and maybe get a favorable matchup next week, maybe against Chicago or maybe, I'm sorry, not against Chicago, but maybe against New Orleans, they could be in a spot where they could maybe 
move themselves on and maybe get to an NFC Championship game. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Seattle, to me, is a team that is much better than people were expecting it to be this year. This was supposed to be a transition year. You talk about, if you remember me earlier in the show, talking about egos and players airing out their differences. There were so many egos and personalities involved with that Legion of Boom defense that people kind of just assumed that it was over when those players left. And it looks like there is a little bit more cohesion involved. It looks like there's a little bit more of a team effort as opposed to a lot of egos and a lot of players that says, hey, I'm really good at what I do. I don't care about you. In, in the end, I think this is Pete Carroll's best job as a head coach in the National Football League. Now, talk about Dallas for a second. Very good defense. I still think of that performance they have, had against the New Orleans Saints. Great job. They went out there and just did what they needed to do. I think it could have that type of performance at home. Russell Wilson's going to be a very important factor in this game. Is, are they able to establish any sort of running game? The Seahawks have surprised some people by getting some good performances from multiple running backs over the course of this season. And to me, it's going to be close. This is probably the one pick that I'm going to make that I, if I ended up losing this pick, I wouldn't be surprised. But give me Dallas at home, minus two and a half against the Seattle Seahawks. So let's get on to the Sunday games. You got the Los Angeles Chargers, the team with the second best record or tied for the best record in the entire AFC having to go on the road in wildcard weekend against a team in Baltimore that barely squeaked into the playoffs. And if you hear what I'm saying, you kind of know what I'm kind of gravitating towards. Now, I'm not worried about home field advantage when it comes to the Los Angeles Chargers because they don't have a home field. They don't have a home field advantage. The majority of the fans that are going to watch the Los Angeles Chargers at what is supposed to be a home game for the Chargers Half of those fans, or maybe even more, are rooting for the other team. And it's unfortunate. So, I think this is a team that has a thick enough skin that can go out there and can play in an environment that may not necessarily have their fans rooting for them, because they're used to that. So, if you talk about home field advantage, I think home field advantage in regards to any of the other games that are out there means less to the Los Angeles Chargers than it does to any other team. And I think the Chargers are a better team. And I think you look at Phillip Rivers, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. You can talk about Ben Roethlisberger, you can talk about Eli Manning, the other two quarterbacks that were taken in the first round in the same draft as Phillip Rivers. They both got two Super Bowl rings. We talked about the Chargers being a sleeper coming into this year. And with a good chance to represent the AFC and maybe even win a Super Bowl. Now, early on, it didn't look like that was going to be the case. Now, as things have come together, I think it's time that you start looking at the Los Angeles Chargers as a legitimate contender when it comes to winning in the AFC. So give me the Chargers plus three at Baltimore. Last game I want to get into, and we'll, we're going to actually pause it for a second because I do want to take this call in. Um, Ishai is going to be calling from Long Branch. Ishai, 
John Pielli over in New Jersey, what's on your mind? much on the show, Anisha, I do appreciate the call. The Lakers, when it comes down to it, obviously there's the mystique, there's that franchise history that they have, which I, I do think is very powerful and very strong. Being able to maybe have the benefit of LeBron James deciding that he wanted to play there, and maybe anything that was involved behind the scenes to convince him to come and be their franchise player. You're talking about one of the best players ever coming to your team, not only that, but still with enough of his prime left that he could do a lot there. So when it came to the Lakers starting the season, I wasn't I wasn't thinking of them up amongst the likes of the Golden State Warriors. I think they're a good team. I think they're a team that right now certainly overachieved a little bit, and I do think they could slip in when it comes to the last part of the playoff picture, maybe get a 6-7 or an 8 seed. And you never know, as the trading deadline comes up and you're going to start to see star players on teams being bought out, the Lakers could certainly add to that by getting players for the league minimum or around that, you know, certain exceptions. So I think the Lakers can make a run this year if they could surround LeBron this year with some better core pieces or better tertiary type of players. They could take a series in the postseason. But... I'm having a hard time thinking about the Lakers winning an NBA championship. I think they can make the playoffs. I do. And Ishai, your point is, uh, you know, listen, you're a Laker fan. You want to see this team do well, obviously. You look at the NBA and the history of the Lakers franchise. They've won a lot. They've had a lot of success. They've had some of the best players that we've ever seen in the history of the National Basketball Association. And got another one in LeBron James. I think the Lakers should be more feared next year as opposed to this year. But it's interesting. They've they've overachieved. They've done better than what I've thought. And I think if they can make a couple small deals for some role players around the trading deadline or take advantage of some players that are getting bought out by other teams, they could fortify their roster enough that perhaps they could win a round or two in the NBA playoffs. So moving on, we're talking about the uh, NFL playoffs. Last game, wanted to touch on, Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Chicago to take on the Chicago Bears. And a lot of people are going to be riding on the Bears here, and I, I give them every uh, every bit of credit. Good performance last week, fortifying you know, their playoff spot. Unfortunately, it was a situation where they could not get into the next round or get a first round by Los Angeles Rams by simply winning guaranteed themselves the position with the second overall seed and the first round by. So the Bears did their part. They won. They had a good performance last week. And by doing that, kept the Minnesota Vikings out of the playoffs. And I think, you know, traveling to Minnesota and doing that, I think, was a big step for a Chicago Bears franchise that hasn't gotten a lot of credit over the last several years, nor have they deserved it. They haven't been a very good team. This is the first time in the playoffs for a while, but the one thing that's jumping out at me, and once again, 
You know, I had a Bears fan last week that was really upset with me that I picked against them. And I'm looking at the lines of these games, and a, lot, and a lot of credit is going to the Chicago Bears. A lot of the credit has been earned by the performance of the Bears' offense. The two running backs they got. Trubisky has done a great job. The receivers have stepped up. They got a good offensive line. We know about their defense, led by Khalil Mack. And Matt Nagy is starting to get a reputation as one of the more innovative offensive minds in the entire National Football League. With all the coaching vacancies that exist, the eight that are out there, what are teams gravitating towards? That next offensive mind, that next Matt Nagy, that next Sean McVay. So credit's got to go to the coach. Credit's got to go to this entire team. And in my opinion, and I've been proven wrong before, they're getting too much credit. Playing a home game against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are the defending Super Bowl champions, with the defending Super Bowl MVP as their quarterback. And normally it wouldn't matter because they'd be one and the same, but Carson Wentz was the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles this year. He's hurt. Nick Foles is back in there just like he was last year. And, you know, exciting things could happen. And I think at the very least, the Eagles are going to keep this game close. So the line is six and a half in favor of Chicago. I gotta take Philadelphia plus six and a half in Chicago. Now, do I think the Eagles will win? I think they could. They could win this game outright. But at the very least, this is going to be a last possession game. This is going to be a game that's going to come down to a field goal. It could come down to what team has the ball in the final two minutes of the game. Is it going to be a high-scoring game? No, probably in the twenty somewhere. But if you, if you said, hey, what was the score of the game? And you said, hey, Bears 27-24 or Eagles 21-19. to Would you be shocked if either one of them happened? So give me the Philadelphia Eagles plus 6.5 at Chicago against the Bears. So NFL picks for Wild Card Weekend. Colts plus 1.5 at Houston. Dallas minus 2.5 at home against the Seahawks. Philadelphia plus 6.5 at Chicago. And give me the Chargers plus three at Baltimore and Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. A little bit of a recap of the show today. Anybody that believes that Sandy Koufax and Johan Santana were on the same level as pitchers, unfortunately are staring too much at stats that are thrown right in front of your face. ERA plus, war, they have a lot of value, but only when they're used as a tool. When you're looking at the entire body of work, of a player, or in this case, a pitcher. And Sandy Koufax, who did have a short career, as did Johan Santana, there's a lot of similarities. But Sandy Koufax had a five-year stretch that was better, or almost better, than any pitcher in baseball history. I made the comparison to Addy Joss of the Cleveland Indians in the late first decade of the 20th century. Pedro Martinez, late 90s, early 2000s. You talk about some of the most dominant five-year runs in baseball history. Sandy Koufax's was amongst the best, but not just because of his win totals, not just because of his ERA, not just because of his strikeout totals, but his durability in that time frame, his ability to complete games, 20-plus complete games, 300-plus innings, all things that Johan Santana would all do respect to him, would all do respect to the changes in a game, in baseball, from when Koufax played to when Johan Santana played, unfortunately, did not do 
So it's apples and oranges when you're talking about Sandy Koufax and Yohan Santana, and your Hall of Fame case can be about Santana and what he accomplished over the course of his career, but don't dare compare him to the likes of Sandy Koufax. Next thing we talked about, NFL players airing their grievances in the public, whether it's through Twitter, whether it's with a microphone in front of them, just talking about whatever it is that they want to, throwing people under the bus. There's parts of it where I may disagree with. There's parts of it that sound unprofessional. There's parts of it that sound like, you know, divas arguing over territory and turf. But I'll tell you this. I appreciate the fact that somebody is willing to put their name behind it. Not like a lot of people involved in Major League Baseball, whether they're players behind the scene in a clubhouse on a losing team, whether they're members of the front office, when they're evaluating certain players that are on their team, they feel a certain way, but they're not man enough to say it. So in that situation, you do one of two things. Either shut your mouth and don't talk to the media at all, or man up and put your name behind what it is that you're trying to say. Talked about two sport athletes in Major League Baseball and pro football and the NBA and track and field. Non-two-sport professional athletes include the likes of Michael Jordan, John Elway, and Russell Wilson, and to this point includes Tim Tebow. They are not two-sport athletes. You're not a two-sport athlete until you play at the highest level in one of two major sports. Amongst those that are, Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson, Dave DeBusher, Mark Hendrickson, Brian Jordan, Jim Thorpe, Obviously, there are other people on both of these lists. Kyler Murray, right now, is a zero-sport athlete. He hasn't made it to the major leagues in Major League Baseball, and obviously, he's, he needs some time. He hasn't been drafted or hasn't chosen to play pro football yet. If he does, maybe he, he could be that next two-sport athlete. NFL picks, they'll be up on JohnPLA.com. Hope everybody enjoys the rest of their weekend. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Hope everybody enjoys your football. Maybe we'll have some news next week about Manny Machado. Where is he going to go? Bryce Harper maybe right behind him. Still interesting as we're in the month of January. We're in 2019. And you don't really know where these two sagas are going to end. Craig Kimbrell. There's some other high-profile players out there that we still don't know where they're going to end up playing. So we'll talk about that next week. Uh, God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.